Welcome to Vets Beyond the Uniform, a weekly podcast that focuses on helping veterans successfully find and integrate into new careers after leaving the military service. Listen in as our host and guest experts share key insights on the successful programs helping veterans to enter and thrive in the civilian workforce. For more information after the program, please visit us at VetsBeyondTheUniform.com. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Vets Beyond the Uniform podcast. I am Mally Mancia, and joining me today from Vets Beyond the Uniform, I have Paul Cevalani and Dave Beadle. On today's show, Paul and I will be speaking with Dave Beadle, one of the co-founders of Vets Beyond the Uniform and the senior instructor for the Resilience Building Leadership Program at Vets Beyond the Uniform. Today, we are going to discuss the need for building a resilient organization, especially during these crazy times. Welcome, everyone. Why, thank you, Melly. Great to be here. Apologize for the bonging in the background. We've got the clock going off at the top of the hour here. <laughs> we always know what time it is. Yes, um, indeed. So, hey, Dave, so this pandemic, yeah. this crazy, crazy pandemic has severely impacted most businesses, regardless of size, service, and location. Now, I know you're connected to like a bazillion people on LinkedIn and the industries, and you've got a great pulse on what's happening out there. What impacts the business are you hearing from your industry connections with regards to the pandemic and what's going on? Yeah, that's that's really a, a great question, and it's something that we're all seeing if we're if anybody's listening to or watching the news on a daily basis. And uh, we we certainly see a lot of highlights with some of the severely impacted businesses, obviously the restaurant business, uh, travel and leisure. But when you look across all industries, everybody's been faced with with something this year. Uh, we've got lockdowns. Uh, it varies you know, across the uh, municipalities, across the country, across the globe in terms of how severe those might be. But at some point in time in this last year, every single business has faced the prospect of being locked down and not being able to, to do business. Um, we've got supply chain interruptions. Gosh, very early in the pandemic, everybody was so concerned about the availability of personal protective equipment, PPE. Now we see broader supply chain interruptions for a number of organizations and a number of industries where because of the ripple effects within their industry, they're seeing down the supply chain difficulty getting raw materials or partially finished materials in order for them to do their jobs. Nobody talks about the lost productivity. Indeed, that means, you know, we, nobody even uses the word absenteeism, but it really is back to the old uh, concept of absenteeism because we're, we're understanding that people are under quarantine because they may have been exposed to COVID or, God forbid, they've actually uh, come down and, and tested positive. That's taking away a huge amount of productivity across every single industry sector that you can imagine because it's impacted everybody. Um, this shift to remote working. In a lot of ways, that's been a, one of the bright spots, a positive, but a lot of industries weren't set up for that. And some of them that were kind of moving in that direction, all of us kind of got kicked down uh, the, the pathway to that in a very uh, abrupt manner as we're all now doing everything through through Zoom or Teams or whatever um, and having to come to grips with what is that what does that look like? Is it, is it, and it, again, it goes back to productivity. Some people can function well in that environment. Some can't. 
and there's certainly those industries that don't have the ability to be um, to for for folks to work remotely. And those are a lot of the ones that are impacted farther up. What I talked about in terms of supply chain and things like that. Think about what's happening um, in the meatpacking industry. Um, so many of those places uh, in the upper upper Midwest um, became hotspots and uh, epicenters for for COVID outbreaks because of the people that are working those. Another one that you don't hear too much about, which is certainly, I think, going to have a ripple effect as the pandemic progresses and hopefully progresses to a close, is you've got unused real estate. All those people working remotely, a ton of real estate that organizations and industries have invested in that right now may not be used. And as a lot of companies are going forward with the concept, okay, we're going to be remote working from now on or you have your choice, what do they do with all those empty office spaces? Those are huge hits to, to companies um, on their balance sheet, and that also could flood the real estate industry with a lot of inventory that there may or may not be demand for. Um, look at the difference it's made in delivery channels and business models. So many organizations have had to completely shift how they do things. great example is what we've seen with the restaurant industry. So many of those organizations and, and, and restaurants – who were built around the dine-in experience from how they constructed their facilities to the ambiance inside, the design, the way they cook their food, the way they train their people, had to shift to completely shift to a model where now they're, they're doing curbside delivery and people are doing takeaway. Completely different. So everything they, they did and all of what may have been a huge part of their brand is now gone because people aren't able to be inside their restaurants. Certainly, everybody has seen a decrease in customers. Uh, it's been a real challenge for a lot of folks to even get out and take uh, take advantage and buy things. Um, yeah, we've got Amazon. Uh, you know, as I sit in, in my neighborhood here and, and look out the window, I probably see the Amazon delivery truck, and I just saw the FedEx delivery truck a few minutes ago coming through our neighborhood multiple times a day. So people are getting goods that they need, but folks that are in brick-and-mortar facilities um, aren't seeing the, the foot traffic that they usually see. Uh, I live just outside of a, of a college town, and that college town had a tremendous hit to their business uh, because they lost the, the normal foot traffic that they get during football season. Certainly, they were able to play football this year, but normally when they get 80,000, 90,000 people for a football game that would come in and, and fill the town with uh, customers walking around all day, the stadium was limited to 19,000, and the city limited the number of uh, hours that people could park so that you really didn't have any time to engage in, in shopping in the community before the game or after the game. So a lot of those downtown businesses that rely heavily on that kind of traffic uh, during a finite time frame in the, in the year lost a ton of businesses, and, and many of them are closing and probably won't come back. Um, certainly we see a lot of forced government closures. That's hit some industries uh, particularly hard, um, those such as the uh, fitness industry, which is one that I came from, um, has been absolutely decimated across the country because of the forced closures uh, to that industry. Uh, other things like uh, other personal services types of businesses like salons, barbershops, those types of things where the, the government has said, you, you guys can't open. Uh, we're not going to let you open because we think the threat is uh, and the risk is too high. <clears throat> They don't have an opportunity to, um, uh, you know, some of them that are more nimble have maybe figured out ways to, to do that, but that's been just tremendous impact. And certainly 
everybody, those that have been able to open and those that will be opening after the pandemic has is over are going to be faced with increased expenses in order to comply with safety guidelines. I know this is a big one when you look at uh, public sector such as uh, teaching um, and, and the schools. I live in an area where a lot of uh, in-person instruction has been allowed to take place, but that's not consistent across the country. A lot of school districts are having challenges being able to open because they aren't able to um, comply with the um, or they don't have the money to comply with those safety guidelines that are put up by the CDC. So all of these things are, are tremendously impacting businesses um, all across the United States, regardless of industry. Great. Thank you so much, Dave. So we also hear a lot about organizations trying to become resilient in order to survive. Can you tell us more about what resiliency is and when it comes to organizations or businesses? Yeah, absolutely, Mally. You know, when we use this term resilience, I think a lot of folks certainly go to the concept of what does it mean to be personally resilient? And that's, you know, okay, how do I, how do I bounce back from something? And it's not too awful different when we look at it at an organizational level. But when we're talking about resilience in an organizational level, we're really looking at what we define as a collective social phenomenon. And this is where people in an organization have to rely on each other to accomplish difficult and challenging tasks together. And certainly the adversity and challenges that we've all been faced with at the pandemic qualify for that. So resilience then at, at an organizational level is this ability to overcome adversity. Importantly, it's the ability to adapt and grow as a result of the adversity. I think that's the key point right here, not just bouncing back, but a grow. So when you look at organizations and break them down into a team level, Teams that are resilient are stronger together, and they make this, this, um, this idea of being able to learn as an organization and adapt and change, they make that possible. A great example of this is one that I, that I like to share. So I heard this story from um, some people that I was coaching, and it was, it's about Marine Corps boot camp. Now, I was a Marine. And anybody who's been through boot camp can, can sort of, uh, I think, understand the challenges that might be facing. So think about this from the perspective of how Marine Corps boot camp would have to adapt to the, to the pandemic. So all the stuff that I talked about didn't apply to the military. The military still had to bring people in, get them through their basic training, and put them out into the military roles that they need. None of that's but how did they have to adapt? So for people who have had the military and the basic training experience, they understand what boot camp is like. It's communal living personified, um, and you're, you're with the same group of people 24-7 for you know, anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks, depending on what branch of the service you're in. But you're bringing people in from all across the country and putting them in this – you have absolutely no idea what their experience have been or what they've been exposed to before they come to boot camp. So there's a group of recruiters um, in, in San Diego and in, in South Carolina. They're tasked with managing this process. So the first thing they had to do is decide, okay, well, we've got to bring people in. What are the protocols that we're going to be faced with, with dealing with? So the first thing is these people can't – we can't put them into this communal environment until they've actually gone through a two-week quarantine because that was the standard. So – how do they do that? They can't bring them in and put them into a communal barracks where they're sleeping two, uh, you know, uh, two people to a rack. That's one on top of the one bunk, two bunks, their bunk beds. 
everybody just be aware of that. Um, I'm glad you so, clarified that for the yeah. listeners, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because you were talking <laughs> about Marines as well, so I just want to make sure. I know, I know. <laughs> I just, but, yeah, I just, picturing my, my time, there was, there was a bunk bed there, and you had one guy on the top rack and one guy on the bottom rack. But they can't put people into it. They can't put these kids into that. So here they're having to take 18-year-old kids. Most of them are right about that age. Um, and have to isolate them for a period of two weeks. What did they do? Well, first thing they had to do is find a place to do that. Uh, okay, hotels. Let's find a hotel. So they were able to secure hotel space. All right, so they dropped them into the hotel. All right, well, picture yourself as an 18-year-old kid in this day and age, and this is going, you're going, you've made the commitment to join the military, and you're getting thrust into this environment. You've, number one, been cut off, first of all, from family. Um, this is an entirely new process, so nobody really knows yet kind of what we need to do. Um, and they've taken away my digital devices. I don't have a phone. I don't have video games. And they had to figure all this stuff out literally on the fly because I said none of this stuff stopped. So they had to try to figure this stuff out on the fly. So the recruiters are trying to say, okay, what's going on here? Looking at what's happening with the people. They were getting super bored. And the biggest risk they had was how many of these kids could we potentially lose? And by lose, I mean saying, I'm done with this. I want to go home um, during that two-week process before they actually get them into boot camp and start the, start the training process. So they had to quickly figure out, okay, well, we got to engage these kids somehow. we got to make sure that they're being fed, that they're not totally isolated. And so the recruiters then were actually going in and visiting these, these kids um, and engaging with them initially. And then they started to think, well, maybe this is an opportunity for us to start some training. And through this process, and this is part of the process where organizations become resilient, they're observing, they're taking information and feedback, seeing what's happening, learning, and then say, okay, how could we change and adapt? So each time they did that, and this was happening rapidly over, over the course of, of a few weeks, they had got to the point where they actually made sure that um, there, was, there was time that they got to spend together, that the recruiters were interacting with them, and the recruiters were interacting with them in a very interesting way. My time at boot camp and most everybody's experience with boot camp is very jarring. Uh, I think I arrived at MCRD San Diego at about 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, and st- everything was great up until – the bus doors open, and all of a sudden, this maniac jumps on the bus, and he's screaming at me at the top of his lungs, telling me to run outside and put my feet on a on some yellow footprints. And that basically didn't change until 13 weeks later when I graduated from boot camp. So that is the that's the the normal experience. During this time, like I said there was a risk of these kids being able to say, "I'm done. I want to go home." So the the recruiters took a much more of a, a collegial approach. So they were talking to them. They were listening to them. They were saying, "What is your What are your challenges? You know, what is it? How are you feeling?" And they were responding to those challenges in terms of, you know, I'm feeling bored. I'm homesick. I mean, how, how do we do this? I, I can't engage with anybody. And so every time they come back with this feedback, say, "Okay, we got to do something about this. We got to do something about this." So as this process went on, they got better and better at it, and they actually were able to introduce some of the what we used to call knowledge training. Basically, it's, it's book learning and things that you have to know in order to be, become a Marine that have to be in your head. Um, they were able to introduce that during this two-week process. 
Often, and before that process, it was all done when you're being faced with the, the physical trials of boot camp and having to learn a whole bunch of other stuff. And it really was a pressure cooker environment. This gave them an opportunity for them to actually sit back in a little more relaxed manner and be able to soak some of this knowledge in. The upstart from all of this is they were tracking this and looking at, okay, well, what are we getting out of this experience? First of all, we're, we're keeping our pipeline open, but they saw that on the back end when people would, that the recruits would come out and graduate from Marine Corps boot camp, that they were actually a higher quality of, of Marine going into their first training opportunities than they were getting before. So here's where this whole idea of being adapt and resilience comes to this change, adapt, and grow. Now they've got data that shows them if we do this, if we engage our recruits earlier before they're stepping on the yellow footprints, we're actually going to have a higher quality of Marine coming into the military than we did before this. So maybe this is something we want to incorporate after the pandemic is over. And the last conversation I had with somebody who was involved in this is they were actually having discussions with the folks at headquarters Marine Corps in order to expand that and say, how can we re replicate this process once we don't have to put them in a hotel for two weeks? Is there ways that we can engage these recruits early on and have that same result? So this is, this is what resilience looks like faced with the challenge Marine Corps recruiters had to quickly adapt. They used what they were seeing. They had conversations. They engaged with the recruits. They went back to their teams, discussed, figured out what do we need to do next. And then they were tracking data on the back end so that they were always learning, looking at what was happening. And as a result, they're getting better, higher quality recruits. And now this is something that's going to become part of the Marine experience after COVID is over. So being resilient is critical to survive, not just during the pandemic, but it's also critical to survive just on just in regular business world or regular personal world. Having some form of resiliency built in is critical to for growth and to get to the next steps. Um, so talk to us a little bit about what is the resilience building leadership program all about? We understand that's a program that's that's been out a while now um, and who should participate in this type of training? Yeah, so the Resilience Building Leadership Program was actually created by another former Marine, a uh, gentleman by the name of Dr. Gene Coughlin. He discovered this concept when he was doing his um, doctoral work at, the, uh, at Pepperdine University in California. He had been very fascinated by this concept of resilience from his time in the Marine Corps, so he wanted to see what else was out there um, in, in academia to back up what he was seeing. And what he had found is there was really five keys to make things like this process I described happen with, with the Marines at boot camp. And it starts at a very top level where it, it was supporting this idea of organizational learning. And in order to be able to do that, you have to facilitate the learning of teams. And when you get down to the very base level, it's, it's how do you um, in, a, in an environment at the team level, make sure you're promoting morale, teamwork, keeping the motivation levels high, and managing commitment. And what that comes down to is you have to create a positive climate, you have to develop cohesion in your teams, and you have to give them purpose. You have to provide purpose. 
So in the Resilience Building Leadership Certification course that he created, um, he was taking this idea of this collective social phenomenon and bringing this process together so folks have to function, so they can function in roles where they might be in project management, human resources, anything across the organization. And he created a certification level because the one thing that he was very keen on is this idea of resilience is actually a trainable. It's a, it's actually a, a leadership training type of thing. And he wanted to be able to certify folks to give them the tools that they needed so that they could create these um, environments where people have a positive climate. They're developing cohesion. Um, they, they have the sense of purpose. They're facilitating the learning at the team level and actually creating organizations that are learning organizations. So the way the program breaks down is there's there's three levels. Uh, the very base level is what we call the Resilience Building Leadership Professional, or the P level. This certification is designed for the frontline supervisors. So these are, these are folks that are, are supervising teams that may be on a production line, or they're actually delivering services directly to um, the team members that are customer-facing. Um, organizations need these frontline supervisors that can build and lead these resilient teams. So as I talked about, it teaches them how to create a positive climate, how to develop cohesion, and how to ensure that there's a sense of purpose in the workplace. That allows these collectively resilient teams to accomplish the goals in these challenging environments. So the next level then is what we call the Resilience Building Leadership Professional Coach, the RBLP-C. This is really aimed at middle managers in an organization. So these are the, the people that are uh, managerial level. They're supervising the, the, these frontline supervisors and their teams. And they have to be able to coach and train those folks on. They are really tasked with this idea of how do we take the learning that's happening at the and facilitate that and spread that throughout the organization, and making sure this is happening throughout the organization. How are these teams solving their problems? Are they actually getting to that? A lot of what we talk about in the, the P level is, is working directly with the people and the teams, and it's the leader modeling behaviors for the teams. Now, this is when we get to the C level, this is the middle managers that are helping the leaders say, okay, this is what you need to do in order to model this stuff within your teams and helping them see just like the process I described with Marine Corps boot camp, what are we learning? What are we learning? How do we get out of a mindset that we may have been stuck in and change that based on the circumstances that we're running into? Now the very top level is the resilience building leadership professional trainer or the RBLPT. This is aimed at senior leaders in an organization. Um, Organizations need these senior leaders who can train the middle managers to be able to facilitate that team learning, but they also need to have people in those senior positions so that the leadership, uh, the lessons, excuse me, that, that folks are learning get disseminated throughout the organization. And when we talk about that process, it really involves um, how do we take this idea of solving problems and overcoming challenges and take it to a point where organizations are sorry I'm struggling with my, my, my brain here a little bit um, seeing this this getting out of the loops that they may be in stuck in and saying okay here's some new information we need to put this in and how does this information 
not only diffuse through the organization, but also um, if, it, if it's a change in what we're doing, and maybe it's just a little tweak or entirely new process. So you could, going back to my Marine Corps example, some of that was a new process that was tacked onto a, an existing process. So what they're doing right now is they're, they're at the senior level, then they're reaching out to headquarters Marine Corps to make sure that this can get disseminated out throughout the rest of the Marine Corps. And what this does for an organization, it allows them to change as an organization and hopefully give them a competitive advantage. Now, we talked about a military example. There's certainly a number of examples that you could come up with that companies are having to struggle with or doing now to become a competitive advantage in the eyes of COVID. Those restaurants that have managed to successfully adapt and change and even in some cases thrive um, in this COVID environment because they made they made a shift. And they made a shift across a number of different aspects within their organization. Certainly they had to shift in terms of how they delivered food um, to customers. But then how can they then create an experience? How are they maybe taking that, the lessons that they've learned in the experience that they originally developed their restaurant for and still engaging in people? I've seen some stories where um, some restaurants, and I think there were some very high-end restaurants, have actually created like a weekly um, Zoom meeting where they invite fans of their restaurant to sit down on a Zoom meeting with the chef or their, um, their sommelier, their, their wine experts, and they learn about stuff in the kitchen and learn about wine. So here they're continuing to engage and build communities and actually using that now as a competitive advantage um, to help them not only survive, through this pandemic, but also thrive as a result. Thank you, Dave. Yes, great. Thank you so much, Dave, for sharing all of that with us today. And I want to thank um, you, Dave, and as well as Paul for joining me today for another wonderful show. Um, if you would like to learn more about the RBLP program, um, please visit our website at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us at training at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. All these links and information will be posted in our show description as well. Thank you for tuning in and listening, and have a wonderful day. Hey, thank you, Dave. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the opportunity to share this with folks. Sounds exciting. Excellent.